0: Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast as always is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies, Liquidware, and Policy Pack Software. This is actually a milestone episode. This is episode 100. And I can honestly say that there's no way that the podcast would reach 100 episodes if I didn't have sponsors who are like paying for the expenses, the different subscriptions, the equipment I use, and so forth. It just wouldn't be feasible. So if you enjoy the podcast each week, you have Goliath Technologies, Policy Pack Software, and Liquidware to thank. And now for some news. The Microsoft MSIX App Attach Preview is now live. It has actually been live for a few days as of this recording, but I just received my welcome email. So if you haven't received yours yet, it may just be a little bit delayed like mine was. AppAttach looks like it's going to be a very different way to package and deploy your applications. Essentially it appears you could take an MSIX package and deliver it via an application layer that they are calling AppAttach. It's interesting that Microsoft now appears to be going in this direction. In order to try it out you'll need access to the Windows Insider Portal to obtain the version of Windows 10 with support for the MSIX App Attach APIs. You'll need a functioning Windows Virtual Desktop deployment. You'll need the MSIX Packaging tool and you'll need a network share in your Windows Virtual Desktop deployment where the MSIX package will be stored. So while there's a WVD Requirements specified for the preview, it has been noted by others in the community that it's not actually tied to WVD per se, so it should work on regular traditional Windows 10 desktops when it becomes available. Kind of like WVD itself right now, the setup is a little bit convoluted, but unlike WVD, this is just a preview, so I'm sure it's going to improve before it goes live. So let's all get testing to make sure this succeeds. We desperately need a solid app packaging and deployment tool. You know, other than Numescent Cloud Paging. And a quick mention since I just talked a little bit about WVD again, Jim Moyle shared a pretty cool planning poster for WVD. If you're looking at WVD right now, it could be worth printing this out and sticking it up on your old cubicle wall. Also somewhat WVD-related, interestingly, VMware posted an article about integrating FSLogix profile containers with the VMware Horizon just-in-time management platform. It's very interesting. The article also illustrates profile containers alongside VMware App Volumes and VMware's UEM product. Are we all hopping on board the FSLogix train? Now, the fact that the... GMP, or Just-In-Time Management Platform, encompasses all of the different Horizon products. It's probably not that surprising to see them illustrated beside one another. But at one time, FSLogix Profile Containers might have been competing with the user layers of app volumes and with their UEM products. So it's a bit of a turnaround that they are now illustrating FSLogix Profile Containers' use alongside their products. It's also pretty cool to see that finally, in 2019, it seems like Microsoft and VMware may be playing a little nicer with each other. Maybe with other sharks now in the water, they realize working well together is more in each other's interests. And speaking of VMware Horizon's just-in-time management platform, there's a lot of convenient segues this week, the beta for VMware App Volumes 4.0 is now available there's several new features including the concept of an inventory which will help speed up rollouts and rollbacks if needed the app inventory creates a construct for any given app so for example Adobe Reader within that inventory all various app packages for that app are included so for example Adobe Reader version 10 Adobe Reader version 11 and Adobe Reader DC so Rolling back to a previous version or upgrading to a newer version is more streamlined within the console and for managing. Also helping to speed up rollout of new applications, there's a new marker technology. An app package within an inventory can be designated as the current version and all users who are assigned to the current version will just get updated at the next login that's a pretty interesting concept because I know in the community and also with some vendors this this concept of like evergreen so essentially this could be like the evergreen deployment you could have the one application layer within your management console and just have it marked as current that way as the application evolves and gets updated in your organization your users are constantly on the current branch if you decide that's what they get. If they need an older version, maybe you specifically give them that older version and a subset of people will get the current version, however you want to do it. Either way, all of these new features sound awesome. And you could sign up for the preview release today. In an unexpected twist, cnbc.com is reporting that Xerox has issued an ultimatum to HP to reconsider the acquisition bid. If you listen to the podcast regularly, you'll recall that I covered over the last two episodes that Xerox put a bid forward to acquire HP. The HP board decided that basically they were undervalued and rejected the offer, but then said they were open to the prospect of seeing how the businesses align and maybe how they can work together in the future. Well, now they've been issued with an ultimatum by Xerox. And Xerox CEO John Wissenstein wrote a letter to HP's directors asking that they reconsider the company's takeover bid before the board brings its case to the HP shareholders directly. It was stated they had until 5pm on Monday, November 25th to reconsider before they would move forward with their attempt to woo the shareholders. HP have seemingly rejected the takeover again, leading to a potentially hostile takeover attempt. HP has also questioned the decision making behind the Xerox decision to exit its previous joint venture with Fujifilm. And I quote from the HP execs, Xerox essentially mortgaged its future for a short-term cash infusion. We fear that the exit has left a sizable strategic hole in Xerox's portfolio. In addition, we have concerns as to the state of Xerox's technology resources, research and development pipeline, future product programs, and supply continuity and capability. Finally, we note that Xerox will have to get access to the fastest-growing Asia-Pacific region. End quote. Interestingly, off the back of this new development with a potential hostile takeover attempt, HP's share price has increased, while Xerox's has declined slightly, at least at the time of this recording. Certainly, it's interesting times. HPE, which I guess is maybe now HP's younger, hipper cousin, has announced its own container platform, the HPE Container Platform. As ZDNet point out, Entering this space now when when others are already pretty established is risky, but HPE are trying to differentiate themselves in a couple of ways. HPE is pledging that its container platform will be 100% open source Kubernetes compared to other systems that have altered Kubernetes. In addition, HPE container platform will also be able to run across multiple environments and provide one management layer. The article goes on to suggest HPE is betting that it can also address container sprawl as well as lower costs by working across public cloud and non-cloud applications. The platform will also enable customers to prioritize apps and choose components that can be run on bare metal. This new container platform will be available in early 2020 and offered with services and consulting. RIPE NCC, the body tasked with distributing IPv4 addresses in Europe that it has received from the Internet Assigned Numbers Authority, or IANA, just announced they have run out of IPv4 addresses. If you listen to the podcast, you'll have heard me cover this a little in the past with warnings this would happen, and even the fact that the country of Belarus has mandated IPv6 as a standard. And it seems Belarus was being pretty pragmatic, and others really need to follow suit. IPv4 did come close to the brink in the past, and millions of IP addresses were recovered. They think this time the number they'll be able to recover will be in the hundreds of thousands, not millions. This is likely to cause a lot of strain on internet service providers, and eventually they won't be able to get IP addresses in as timely a manner as required. There clearly needs to be an aggressive push towards IP version 6 now. The Verge has reported and shown an integration for Google's popular Gmail, Google Drive, and Calendar into the Outlook.com web client. The article shows pictures With the google features within outlook.com allowing you to quickly attach or link to files in your google drive and drafted outlook emails the gmail and calendar integration shows separate inboxes and side-by-side integration in the calendar displayed within the client so you could see if you've got a gmail inbox and you've got outlook.com inbox you can have them side by side you can have the calendars side by side and you can quickly link to stuff in your Google Drive from Outlook.com web client. I gotta say, another wise move by Microsoft to embrace rather than push away or try to compete too aggressively with vendors who make very popular products like this, so very smart move. Satya Nadella is no dummy. Techspot.com has reported that there is a ransomware campaign targeting the less tech savvy through emails warning users to install urgent Windows updates with a subject line containing install latest Microsoft Windows update now or critical Microsoft Windows update. Recipients are asked to click an attachment to download the update. While the file has a .jpeg extension, it's actually an executable .NET downloader that delivers malware to the infected system. When the victims click on this file, another executable is downloaded. This one's called BitcoinGenerator.exe. And like the email attachment, this is also a .NET compiled malware. It's actually the cyborg ransomware. The BitcoinGenerator.exe encrypts users files and changes their extensions to its own .777 extension. The ransomware also leaves a copy of itself called the bot.exe hidden at the root of the infected drive. Victims will then find a ransom note named cyborg underscore decrypt.txt on their desktop, which demands $500 to decrypt the files. When the researchers looked for the ransomware's original file name, they found three other samples and discovered that a builder for the ransomware exists. There was even a YouTube video containing a link to the builder hosted within their GitHub, which had two repositories. One with the ransomware builder binaries and the other with a link to the Russian version of the builder. Dun-dun-dun! I mean, I'm no great shakes, and I haven't really programmed anything in a while, but as far as ransomware goes, this one seems a little bit primitive. And like stated at the top of this story, you really have to be less than tech savvy to get duped by this one but hey if you have friends or family who are maybe a little bit tech averse might be worth warning them like don't fall for this if you're an uber agent customer and use the firefox monitoring feature you'll need to take some action in order to keep using it as of december 2nd mozilla will start to Show a consent dialog to users if an add on collects information about visited URLs, even if the add on was deployed through group policy. This change forces Uber Agent to publish a new version of the add on, which only enables data collection after the consent has been declared. I'll share a link to this, including documentation on what you'll need to do to continue using the feature, but you know, it's pretty simple to continue, so don't be too concerned. And this is episode 100, like I said at the top of the episode. So if you go to 5bytespodcast.com, under reference links for episode 100, you'll find the link. Ben Splitgerber on Twitter pointed out significant performance issues with Logics that now appear to be resolved with a recent definition update in Windows Defender. If you're running Windows Defender and you've been seeing some performance problems, with the update, you should see a performance bump. Google have announced that Google Cloud Print will be retired at the end of 2020. They state that Google has improved the native printing experience for Chrome OS and will continue adding features to the native printing. For environments besides Chrome OS or in multi OS scenarios, Google encourage you to use the respective platform's native printing infrastructure and our partner with a print solutions provider. Ed Bott, meanwhile, commented that it has been 10 years in beta and never released, stating that this is maybe the most Googly thing ever. Ouch. So at this point, this next story probably comes a no surprise to anybody but ZDNet has reported that Microsoft are blocking Windows 10 upgrades to some Avast and AVG users to the 1903 and 1909 releases. Users running the product's version 19.5.4444.567 are earlier are those who are affected. It is actually the first time users of these products have been blocked from upgrades. But it's not the first time Microsoft has blocked upgrades to those running certain third-party products that they know are going to have problems. I guess if you use those versions, you better get upgrading your antivirus pretty quick, especially if you're going to be on the long-term service branch release in future. 37 different memory corruption vulnerabilities have been discovered in VNC. Some of which are critical in severity and some of which could result in remote execution according to a ThreatPost.com article. A Kaspersky research showed over 600,000 web accessible servers in systems that use this code. The researchers also found vulnerabilities not only in the client but also on the server side of the system. Many of the latter, however, can be exploited after password authentication. Across all 37 of the bugs, there are two main attack vectors, the firm said. An attacker is on the same network with the VNC server and attacks it to gain the ability to execute code on the server with the server's privileges. Or, a user connects to an attacker's server using a VNC client and the attacker exploits vulnerabilities in the client to attack the user and execute code on that user's machine. Any way you cut it, it's not good. So if you use vnc definitely keep up to date adobe have announced end of support for adobe acrobat and reader versions 2015. support will end april 7th 2020. customers are advised to upgrade to the dc versions popular security tool shodan celebrated their 10-year anniversary with the sale They sold subscriptions to their service for just $1 for 24 hours. The 24 hours has elapsed. So, sorry, tough luck if you didn't get in on it. But nonetheless, happy birthday to Shodan. Office 365 suffered from another outage. This time it was experienced worldwide. The outage went on for about two hours and the root cause analysis showed that a periodic deployment was released through Microsoft's validation pipeline, which initially did not show impact. However, when combined with specific traffic patterns, it caused service-wide intermittent HTTP request failures for all services, services utilizing the Azure Front Door service. The investigation into the faulting behavior revealed that the combination of a sequenced code deployment, a configuration deployment, and specific traffic patterns triggered a dormant code bug that instigated the platform to crash. These deploy changes were tested before being shipped to the broader cloud. However, because of that specific pattern, it wasn't caught before the incident. John Hall, who is a principal architect at BMC Software, has shared a comprehensive report on a huge IT migration failure at TSB Bank in the UK. The report goes into what happened when the bank was acquired by another bank who applied its own processes to this bank with pretty terrible consequences. In fact, 1.9 million customers of the banks got locked out of their accounts. Some customers would remain unable to access their accounts for more than three weeks. In a tale as old as time, proper testing was not completed or considered for the project. They were expected to meet a hard date for target, and there was no pause to consider consider whether or not they were actually ready to migrate. Worse still, when tests failed, rather than accept the failure and improve, the targets were just downgraded to allow it to show a pass. It also suggests that no independent sources were brought in to review our help with the project and it was probably the most complex project that they'd undertaken. ThinScale have announced ThinKiosk Kiosk support for Windows Virtual Desktop as part of their version 5.7 release. If you're on your journey to WVD and you are trying out endpoints, you may want to try a trial of this. It's a great way to repurpose some of your older hardware. If you're an existing thin kiosk customer then hey heads up with version 5.7 you get wvd support so final story i don't really cover much around consumer products at least not those that don't also have a play in enterprise like certain phones and i don't cover stories about but this one was too interesting to pass up the loop.ca reported on an infographic that shows predictions of when dead facebook users will outnumber the living Kind of morbid. The report states that over 10,000 Facebook users die a day. It's predicted that if Facebook stops growing, which indications suggest will happen and is actually already happening. I mean, even anecdotally, how many kids think that Facebook is for old people only? Well, by 2065, the dead users will outnumber the living if growth is slowing. And if, by chance, Facebook, unlike other social media p- platforms in the past, like MySpace and Bebo, continues growing, their prediction is that it will turn into a virtual graveyard by the year 2130. And for the weekly webinar this week, I just wanted to highlight that there's a curated list of Windows Defender ATP sessions from Microsoft Ignite that are available in the Ignite catalog. I think with the holiday, I kind of struggled to fill this segment this week. So I had to go back to something that's a couple weeks old. You know, if you work for a vendor or you work for a company that hosts webinars and you'd like me to promote it on the podcast, by all means, reach out to me and I'll promote it for you. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. My favorite security geek... Patrick Coble posted his first ever tech target article this week and it is awesome. The top of the article has an embedded animated image with a forward and backward button on each side. There are actually 12 images in total because the premise of the article is that it's a showdown between VMware and Citrix VDI in terms of security. Each image is a round in like a make-believe boxing match. So there are 12 rounds in total in this championship bout. Patrick looks at the different security layers and features each vendor brings to the table and declares a winner for each round and why he came to that judgment that that vendor won that round. And also at the end, he declares an overall winner. I'm not going to spoil it for you. I suggest you check it out for yourself and I'll share a link to the article with this episode, which again is episode 100 on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. And also this week, it's as if Citrix and Trent Tai were reading my mind. This week, Trent had an article featured on Citrix.com that details setting up ControlUp's awesome automation capabilities to trigger the Citrix session recording feature when something that you decide should be a trigger, triggers it. So for example, a process starts pegging your CPU. You can grab a recording from that user session that allows you to play it back to see what they were doing that caused that high utilization. I need this in a really bad way right now to track down a rogue process that's running roughshod over a handful of our servers each day. So thanks very much, Trent. I'm pretty sure I featured Johan's excellent hydration kits for automated deployments in the past, but this week I saw that Bernardo. Harako Jr. has recently shared a demo video of using the hydration kits for setting up in his home lab. So if you've never tried the hydration kits for yourself, this is well worth a look and it might help get you started. Dan Goff shared a pretty cool PowerShell script on Twitter. This one's courtesy of PowerShell.one. This script allows you to monitor folders for file changes. This can come in handy when troubleshooting application issues. It's definitely worth having in your tool belt. And finally, Eric from zenappblog.com shared a nice script for removing UWP apps. It's pretty topical right now, so should be right up the alley of a lot of listeners. And that's it. Like I said, this is episode 100. Thank you all so much for continuing to listen, download, and support the podcast. While I didn't ch- change the format for this milestone episode, I'm hoping that when I hit the two-year anniversary, I might freshen up the format a little bit and maybe drop segments like I did last year add new segments or maybe just change some other things if you have some suggestions please feel free to reach out to me you can find me on twitter at rorymon or even email me rory at rorymon.com thanks all so much for listening